Donatello over there in the purple, he's a technical genius who is technically a genius. <laughs> Raphael over there in the red, he's like a big, cuddly teddy bear. If big, cuddly teddy bears were incredibly violent. This is Leonardo, he's in the blue, fearless leader, silent, but deadly. <laughs> and I'm Michelangelo sporting my signature orange. I'm a triple threat, brains, brawn, and obviously a dazzling personality. Ladies like to call me Mikey. Are you done? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 113, and our movie this week was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. And joining me to talk about it, because I believe neither of you had seen it before, it's David and Nick from Hit Me One More Time. How you guys doing? Doing but, doing well. How about you, I, TV's well, Travis? I, I feel like 113, like, oh no, are we bringing bad luck to this <laughs> podcast? No, no, no. That The bad luck happened long, long ago, and I just haven't figured it out yet, and I keep going. So you guys are fine. Uh, so, okay, so neither of you had seen this movie prior to this week. Correct. Nope. Okay. And... Now, on your show, Hit Me One More Time, um, you have covered a couple of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles topics. Yes, yeah. It's a property that's been around since the 80s in many different forms, and that has sparked nostalgia for various different uh, properties. For for some people, it's a stage musical that <laughs> really sucked. But hey, that's what nostalgia is. I was able to avoid the stage musical uh, yeah. so far. That's right, you did. I remember that. Um, all right, yeah, so I would fill through that one, <laughs> David. I'm going to start with you. What is your um, connection to the turtles? Are you a fan of them? How long have you been uh, into them at all? If you are, I mean, like so many people, it started with a cartoon that started in the late '80s, early '90s. Like that was my first real kind of exposure to them, and then. I, there's really never been a point in my life that like there wasn't some sort of turtles thing. I feel like they they keep coming back in different mm -hmm. ways. Like it's like Alf, he's back in Pog form. Like I had a bunch of toys when I was a kid, um, and I I I don't know. I, I had like a real love for the turtles, but I can't say that I've really kept up with them very much. My only real foray back into all of it was when I started reading the the um, comic reboot i guess that started at this point over 10 years ago um, but that was kind of the last time i really was following any sort of turtles thing i haven't actually seen most of the movies that have come out in the last couple of decades okay how about you nick do you have much of a connection to them um no yeah no i mean i think like a lot of people around our age uh they definitely were a part of my childhood um, saw the movies, loved them, had the toys, watched the 90s cartoon, um, was even pretty into the third of the original trilogy uh, of films. I know you're making the okay. face. Everyone's going to yeah. make the face. Um, but I mean, I was a kid. I had like no sense of, you know, what what's good. Or I mean, that... I haven't seen it since, though. So, I mean, in my <laughs> mind, it's still a great movie. Uh, hopefully no one brings it on our show. Um, but anyway... 
Um, so I mean, like they definitely were, you know, up there with like Transformers and Power Rangers and so on and so forth. Like they were present. Um, but like David, uh, I never really read the comics. Um, and more or less, honestly, I hadn't really thought about them much up until we started covering them on our podcast. And now here we are, are, I've watched two Ninja Turtles movies in two days and, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm back on board. All right. Or am I? Let's find out. Well, I guess we will find out. Now, I am much like uh, both of you. I, you know, I I grew up, so 87 is when the cartoon started. So I was six, seven years old, and it was that was Saturday mornings for me. It was Ninja Turtles was on like every Saturday morning from 87 until probably I was like 12. So I watched it religiously. I had toys. I, I remember seeing the first live-action film in theaters. Um I think I saw Secret of the Ooze in theaters too, but I know I didn't see Turtles in Time uh, until it came out on VHS. I'm kind of glad for that because I did not like it. I I remember not hating it at first, and then I watched it again in my like early 20s, and it was tough to get through because <laughs> by then the the suits that they were using I think were still Jim Henson, but it was like. It wasn't the A-team at Jim Henson's Creature Shop anymore, so the eyes started getting less and less life in them, and it was just, it was rough. But yeah, I, I kind of, same same sort of deal. Um, I, they've been around forever, and you're right, David, they kind of, the turtles never seem to go away. They just sort of show back up in another form, whether it's uh, the TV, the live-action TV series um, that was on for a little while that uh, was even worse costuming than, than the third movie. Oh, so bad. Uh, and, and that was I'm the one that... I'm a big fan of Venus. I just want to say that. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it since, but I mean, it seems so different from what I had remembered from before. I was like, oh, this is cool. There's a, there's a girl turtle now. Right. Uh, and then there was the crossover with Lost in Space, and I was like, there are turtles <laughs> on surf, space surfboards surfing through space. I'm on board. Uh, I mean, how can you go wrong there? But... Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, there's been a couple of different uh, animated films. Um, 2007, I think, was just TMNT. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, uh, they the cartoons have been reinvented and redone several times. Those are kind of fun to watch because there's one, and I don't remember which one it is now because there's so many of them, that's actually directed by Rob Paulson, who was yeah. the original voice of Raphael in the cartoon. Um, he... 20 or 30 years later, got to be director and kind of show run. And uh, I think he might have done Donatello's voice too at that point. But he's he's been involved with the Turtles off and on like forever. He loves that that property. So that was kind of cool to see. But yeah, I, and then these movies came out um, and there's there was two of them. So there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2014. And then this movie came out two years later. And it was actually announced... Uh, I want to say like two days after the first movie released that they were going to do a sequel. So they were on board with that. And the first movie was a decent hit. It had... Yeah, it did okay. You know, it didn't do terrible um, at the box office. It was uh, a budget of about $125 million and it made 191 in the U.S. and 485 worldwide. So, you know, pretty pretty decent hit. The second movie, not, not nearly as much. Um, and... A lot of that, I think, was reviews off the first movie because it didn't review very well. Um, it also had kind of the Michael Bay stank on it, unfortunately. Um, Michael Bay. And he didn't direct either of these movies, um, which is one of those things that 
I try really, really hard not to do the film nerd thing when someone's like, yeah, Michael Bay's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm like, well, I mean, it's his in so much as like he signed some checks. Right. I actually pulled that yesterday when we were talking about the first, uh, Nick and I were talking about the first movie and I actually was like, oh yeah, Michael Bay directed just because it, it is so like synonymous for some reason with his name and it does, they're definitely channeling the energy of the Transformers movies. I'll, oh, absolutely. I'll put it that way. And he did, he produced these. So mm-hmm. he was somewhat involved uh, in terms of like getting it started. And I know there was at one point early on in the first movie's development, they talked about um, how Michael Bay said something about the turtles were going to be aliens. And that, oh, yeah. that sent the internet into just a wildfire of, of hate. Because how how could you change that? And that was, I mean, look, don't don't make that big of a change to something, right? So, um, but this movie, I personally enjoy the hell out of this movie. I had a good time watching it. I saw it the first time um, at a drive-in. It was part of a double feature. And I was there to see the other movie. This one played first. The the. Um, drive-in that's near me will always do double features and it's always a family-friendly movie first and then something PG-13 second. And I think this might have been the second movie that played, but we went to see the first movie and I'm like, well, we're already here. We might as well sit you know, through and watch the... And I had a good time with it. Um, I'm curious to know what both of you thought. So Nick, I want to start with you. Just overall kind of as a movie, as a, as a movie-going experience or movie-watching experience, what did you think of this? For Out of the Shadows, I I actually liked it. Um, and, and remember, I, I watched basically the first film the day before. Right. Um, so it was fresh in my mind. Um, and that one I had... There were moments that I liked. I could see where like really competent, skilled people in the production team were doing all these crazy stunts and special effects and all that. Even if it didn't work for me overall... I I wasn't completely unexcited going into the second one. And then the second one just really surprised me overall as far as like they really uh, channeled uh, into the turtles personalities. I mean, they don't really have that deep of deeper personalities. Right. I don't think it's a, a huge undertaking mm-hmm. um, per se, but um, the, the turtles felt even more distinct. Uh, they weren't as like misogynistic this time, which was better. Um the the action i think just flowed better it just felt more fun like you really wouldn't i mean not that you should ever go into ninja turtles movie thinking like i want citizen kane i don't know why citizen kane is always the movie that people use as the the alternative or whatever but um it was just fun like especially once once krang came on the scene i was like okay mm-hmm. there's a the whole crane thing i'm just gonna see where this goes and sure. i i actually had a lot of fun with it Awesome. And how about you, David? What what was your kind of experience watching this one? And and again, you guys watched the two of them back to back days. So, yes, yeah, uh, it was a vast improvement over the first one for sure by by a mile, I would say. Uh, and overall, I actually ended up very much enjoying it as well. There was some real moments of humor. Um, it was a bit more exciting. It they they made so many things in this one so much more simplistic mm-hmm. from terms of plot because the first movie has weird like weird convoluted plots. They they took 
the Foot Clan back to being ninjas, which thank God. Yeah. Um, just their earlier thing didn't work, and they like they, they leaned into the cartooniness of it so much more. Like, and it's also like simpler designs on the turtles themselves. Mm-hmm. They they just looked so much better without having so much junk on them. And then yeah, they just leaned into the cartooniness of aliens. And uh, yeah, why don't they have a giant? A garbage truck that can shoot manhole covers as projectiles. Sure. And why can't a guy in a hockey mask beat up highly trained ninjas and strap some wheels to his feet and make his own rollerblades? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, this is this is great. You're not trying to sell me the hard, gritty reboot that I felt like the first one was trying to sell me of like, this isn't the kids' turtles. This is turtles for edgy teen boys and the men who still think they're edgy teen boys. It's like this is just a, a movie to have fun with, and I had fun. Yeah, I the first movie, I feel very similar. Like there were moments where I'm like, okay, I'm enjoying this. This isn't so bad. But then there was a lot of that that desire to make it the gritty reboot, and it doesn't work. It do, it's really difficult to think of gritty reboot and six foot tall mutant turtle ninjas. That those two things don't tend to work well together. Um, when, when your main villain is named after a a small kitchen appliance, it's hard to think gritty reboot with that. So what I loved about this movie was that it took the 87 cartoon feel and it just said, let's do that with a bigger budget. And not only the design, the, the turtles, the design of them in this is nice because they kind of lightened up the color, their, uh, the green in their skin a little bit. Um, and made it uh, more cartoonish looking. But they also, what one thing I like about them in this is that they're distinct looking from each other. Donatello is thinner um, than the rest of them because he just, he doesn't work out as often. Whereas Raphael is bulky as all hell because he d- dude just lives on a bench press machine. Um, and Mikey's a little bit shorter than everybody. And he's all, he was always the youngest quote unquote by whatever it is. Um, so he's the, the kid of the group, even though they're all teenagers. Um, so I like that, but I love that they leaned into the cartoon. They give you Krang. We finally get bebop and rock steady in a damn turtles movie, like on the big screen, which dating all the way back to the secret of the ooze was supposed to happen at that point, And they couldn't secure the rights for, so that was cool to see. And they were fun. I don't know about you guys, but I love seeing Bebop and Rocksteady. Like they they cast it well with uh, WWE's Sheamus and then um, Gary Anthony Williams as Bebop. Is that guy? (laughs) Gary Anthony Williams is having such a blast. Oh man, was he ever? And there's a. a, Go ahead. I was just gonna say I love Gary Anthony Williams. Like I love his voice work so much. So to see him get to just have fun. And them leaning into the ridiculousness of the purple mohawk and his big goofy glasses things that he wears with like just the single slit in them. I love that. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene where Shredder is walking. He's like, I'm going to take my, like, I'm not going to take my own men. I'm going to take the next generation of finely tuned (laughs) super soldiers. And it just cuts to Bebop and Rocksteady eating a bunch of spaghetti out of like troughs. (laughs) And then, and then they have this whole conversation where where Bebop's like, "Am I fat?" And and like it's like, "No, you're not fat. You're really fat." And they they start slapping his belly like both of them do. It's just really weird. 
scene <laughs> that I they really enjoyed for some reason, just like how goofy it was mm-hmm. that they were like letting these characters be goofy and not being like, ah, oh, we're vicious killing machines who want to kill everything. It's like, no, let's let's slap your belly around, and I, yeah. I appreciated that. I mean, they were right. they were idiots and before they were mutated, so that doesn't change when they get mutated. Um, and I love that. Nick, you were going to say something? No, I was just going to say that overall, I feel like you can sum up the differences between the first movie and the second movie by the way that Shredder looks. Yeah. That, like, oh. in, in the first film, Shre- the, extra is the word I kept using. Like The film was trying to be so extra. Like It, it wanted to be a Transformers movie. And just everything had to be larger, bigger, whatever. And Shredder was like a giant Iron Man suit that you get off of Wish.com or something like that. <laughs> um, like a bajillion knives. Uh, and then this one is like he wears basically like a black padded suit and he gets like a helmet in the last like five seconds of his scenery. And, and it looked great. It looked mm-hmm. really good when he put that helmet on. I was like, this is the Shredder suit that I, I want. Right. Yeah. Uh, I also... In the the first movie, William Fickner was supposed to be revealed to be Shredder, but I think somebody luckily was like, "Hey, uh, that probably is going to come off as really racist," and so they had to like shoehorn in reshoots to actually have it be a separate character, and it uh, it worked out for the best because then we got the Shredder in this movie that I liked as an actual Shredder. Yeah, so you're right. In the first movie, I remember reading that Finkner Finkner Fink. Whatever. Yeah, Whatever. it's one of those names. <laughs> he was supposed to be the Shredder, and they changed it last minute because somebody, you're right, somebody was just like, uh, guys, no, that, that ain't going to work. <laughs> and, but you could tell throughout that entire movie what they were trying to set up. So you could yeah. really see it. Um, yeah, my only complaint in this movie that isn't like a nitpicking, I'm going to tear apart the internal logic of the movie is Shredder almost feels like a side character. Mm, yep. Because if you think about it, the beginning of the movie, it's Baxter Stockman, which, by the way, having Baxter Stockman was a cool uh, thing. I, I remember kind of giggling to myself when I first realized that's who it was. Um, But he's sort of the main villain. They break Shredder out, but then Shredder, pretty much all he does is like tell people to do things and yeah. and look threatening. And then when Krang shows up, Krang's just like, and put you on ice into the Technodrome. You're done. Like, so Krang was such a jerk. <laughs> he really was. Um, but I will say that while I'm a, I, I don't like the fact that Shredder was sort of a side character in this. It also fits again with the '87 cartoon because that's basically what Shredder did in the cartoon was just yell a lot and tell people yeah. what to do. He didn't. He didn't do much. He was a very ineffectual villain in that. Which I mean, you have in a Saturday is, morning cartoon. Is Shredder known for being like nuanced and compelling or anything? Or is he just shreds? <laughs> well, he just shreds. But I mean, at least in in some other in some other instances, he's been he's been doing things like the turtles don't even confront him in this movie. I don't think they outside of the scene where he gets rescued in the um, from the prison transport, they even share scene together. With the the turtles and Shredder, yeah, yeah it's it's true. They're never really like around each other. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit bummed now that there's not going to be a third one because they were setting up those two characters. It seemed like they were going to be coming back in in some sort of way. 
Yeah, I was uh, bummed to hear that too. And it, it basically just comes down to the movie just didn't make enough money. And yeah. it's too bad because I think had the first Turtles movie been closer to the tone of this one, I think it could have done better overall. It was such a tonal shift that, mm-hmm. and I don't think enough people went and saw this um, because they didn't love the first one. It didn't have that feeling because they were they were trying to do the reboot gritty thing. They were trying so many other things and shoehorning it in. It hurt this movie by proxy, and that's unfortunate because this movie has uh, actually a pretty good amount of heart too, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's one one thing from the first one. I felt like. They, the character relationships, especially among the turtles, was really kind of shoehorned or mm. largely left ambiguous. And in this one, I felt like they really did a better job of exploring those dynamics and really letting their inter- interpersonal relationships and interplay breathe right. more. Mm-hmm. Which is also something that you can do with a sequel because on some level you're expecting that everyone's seen the first one and you can kind of let the story continue versus the first one they were trying to set up this new universe and you know that's a whole like basically resource management of yeah. you know what do we focus on here blah 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 if we're lucky though this is kind of like the amazing spider-man 2 of the ninja turtles so maybe in like the next 10 years when i don't know tom holland gets cast as uh leonardo or something <laughs> and then like the third film they do like into the turtle verse and like we get to revisit these turtles again it's it's funny you should say that because they actually have done something like that with the Turtles property in the past. There's a uh, animated movie, I want to say 2013. It was towards the end of one of the series they did where they crossed over. They had the te- the Turtles from that series uh, crossed over with the Turtles from the 87 cartoon. Mm-hmm. And they had to, both those sets of Turtles had to go find an alternate reality with the turtles from the comic book to stop the shredders from doing something like the, all the different versions of the shredders were getting together. So that was really cool because you had the little four foot tall 87 cartoon turtles with like six foot tall versions of themselves. And then they run into the, the comic book versions, which are all black and white and like very gritty and, and angry. So, Oh yeah. There was murder in those original comics. Like there was, Stone Cold Killers. Yeah. And I mean, this, this movie, they're shooting uh, giant, you know, uh, the, the toppings of, well, why can't I think of manhole cover? They're <laughs> shooting manhole covers, which are probably deadly at those speeds. Probably. Yeah. yeah this, this is a classic example of like, I, I'm not a killer, but I am a light maimer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, or I like will ruin theme. your life, but you'll still be alive. The scene uh, when they're in Brazil or over the skies of Brazil mostly and like the planes getting torn to shreds. And, oh, like, yeah. But, but you don't worry every time um, like a pilot or, or some a crew member or whatever, like gets shot out of the plane, you see the parachute go by. Yep. So you know that they're safe. That was my, my one of my favorite parts uh, that showed like we're trying to make this really family friendly is when. Uh, Rocksteady was shooting the machine gun towards the cockpit, and these high-caliber bullets are tearing up the cockpit, destroying it, but the pilot's totally fine. Yep. <laughs> Every bullet missed. It also had a, a legitimate laugh-out-loud moment for me, which was the reaction after that, where Bebop just stands up and is like, dude, yes. really? 
<laughs> I got carried away. Yeah, I really like that. Like, it, there's so much in this that just it makes me. F- it, it reminds me of watching that cartoon so much. Right down to they use the musical stinger, the little da 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 da, a bunch of times. Yeah, it was sound effects. It was that was the horn on the the big uh, turtle van garbage truck. Um, was actually one of my notes. I, I just wrote uh, truck horn was my only note. Like I liked that because it makes this fun to watch, and and it it there's something about the colorness of it too, like the. Um, Vern Fenwick is back. Uh, Will Arnett, not for very long, but he's back, and he's just a moron. He's just a bumbling <laughs> moron, but yet he's the like the savior of the city because he took all the he took the credit for what happened in the first movie. And yeah, I don't know, silly. like that. <laughs> it is silly, and that to me was just fun. Like, there's so much of that that I enjoy, so it just makes it fun to watch a movie like this and just shut your brain off. And they hand wave past everything. Um, there's there's no explanation of how Donatello has any clue whatsoever what this purple stuff is to be able to reverse engineer it, but he can just because he's Donatello. He, he looked. He, he looked in in the microscope. Tells everything. <laughs> yeah, he, he found the instruction manual. Yes, the special science microscope tells him everything. Um, also, the fact that that plays into the whole like the the the, the ooze will make humans into animals. And apparently we descend from oh. more than just yes. Yes. Oh, that all oh. turtles can turn into humans. When fake Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> says, uh, like all humans, you know, we have like dormant animal DNA inside of us. I, <laughs> I like stood up and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, this guy has dormant rhino DNA. Like what? Yep. When, where did that come from? And, you know, it's funny because I had kind of the same reaction to it. And then I realized I don't care. Like, it doesn't right. matter to me at all. Um, they don't right. try to overexplain it. They're just like, oh, they have this dormant DNA. It's like, okay. Not even yeah, sure. overexplain it. They don't explain anything in this movie at all. Like, not a, not a single thing. Shredder, Shredder gets tr- teleported out of uh, midair while they're rescuing him. And ends up in another dimension talking to a brain that's sticking out of the stomach of a giant robot. And he's just like, doesn't care. He is calm as all get out. It doesn't freak him out at all. <laughs> right. I think I had watched the movie earlier before David did. And he was so he was texting me some of his thoughts. Maybe it was the crank, the first crank scene. And that, all my response was, was just like, let this movie into your soul. Point. Like, <laughs> okay, I had no let idea. It, let it in. I had no, I had idea, no idea either. Krang was in this. Like, cause they, they did a pretty good job of not really. I mean, actually, they may have revealed, revealed that when I was filming. It was at this point five years ago since the movie came out. So I don't really remember any of it. Mm. And it was just so off my radar that, yeah, I had no idea. And when he shows up, I'm just like, this, thank you. This is what I wanted. <laughs> and they lean into making that weird too. Like, he doesn't look the same, but like the fact that he's like coming out and he like is hitting Splinter with his <laughs> brain tentacles. And the thing is trying to to push him like in back into the stomach. Yes. Again, it's leading into that cartooniness mm-hmm. and having it really work. Also voiced by Brad Garrett. Yeah. Which I had never heard the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond chew scenery before. But he was <laughs> having a feast while playing Krang. He's done that, a little Everyone in this movie was clearly I hope everyone in this movie was clearly having fun. Maybe not Megan Fox at times. 
just with the way that they kind of portrayed April O'Neil. But overall, everyone was having fun. I think so, with the exception, possibly, of Alan Richson, who was Raphael, because apparently he did not have a good time making the first movie and didn't want to come back for this, but he was contractually obligated to. In some ways, though, with Raphael, that works, because Raphael should be angry and brooding. So if the guy doing his mocap and his voice is angry and brooding, fine, works. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for suffering for Ninja Turtles. Yes, we appreciate that. highest art. (laughs) This is what you've been training for your whole life. And they brought back, it was all four people that had done the Turtles in the first movie, with the exception of Johnny Knoxville did the voice of Leonardo. Um, And he says he was never asked to come back. Um, who knows, but they, they just had the guy, the guy who did the motion capture was originally going to do the voice in the first movie, uh, of Leonardo and then got replaced by Johnny Knoxville. So he just picked up and did it. But the other four and, were, were the same, which I and, didn't even notice that the yeah. voice, was, I mean, I wasn't really paying attention to be saying. fair, but I, yeah. Oh, sorry, David. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like, yeah, I didn't notice at all that Leonardo was different. Um, I even like looked up. I was like, "Oh right, it was Johnny Knoxville." And I like was watching the second one in my head, being like, "Is this still Johnny Knoxville?" I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, you mentioned uh, discount Neil deGrasse Tyson. That was Tyler Perry as Baxter yeah, Stock. He was oh, having yeah. fun. He yeah. was having a blast, and I I never would have thought to cast Tyler Perry in that role based on the co- the cartoon, but he just had fun. Like he that nerdy laugh that he would do was was like silly he's it's interesting because he's such a big like he's a large person he's like six foot five and he so he can really have an intimidating presence but he was not at all intimidating in that role like he he's he's doughy and he's goofy and totally all about subjugating humanity yep absolutely and then get screwed over by shredder uh at the last minute that was the thing so shredder basically flips the table on Baxter and says, well, you're going away now. And then the next scene with Shredder, he gets that done to him by Krang. It's, it's the, the circle of life. It's yep. karma. It's how it always pays forward. So that was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, yeah. And Megan Fox is okay. She's fine. Uh, I, I never loved the idea of her as April O'Neil, but I did like, I don't think she's a bad actor. Um, no. I think she has gotten pigeonholed and, and she kind of falls into the category for me of like a Kristen Stewart where neither of them are bad, but they did some, they, they did some things early on in their careers that weren't great. And so they've been continuously pigeonholed into that ever since. Um, yeah. Cause I think she, for the most part is pretty solid in this. Um, they give her more, I, th- I feel like they give her more to do for most of the movie. Um, so I don't know. Uh, and yeah. then, oh, go ahead. No, I was, cause I, I had said the same thing that Megan Fox, uh, I was actually, I had been a long time since I seen the Megan Fox one. It may have been Jennifer's body. And before mm-hmm. that was the Transformers movie. So, and I, I've never was like a Megan Fox hater as far as I remember, um, but I, I know that she's generally typecast as just the hot, sexy one. And the mo- both movies play this up. And the first movie felt like it was trying to, you know, like, hey, look, she's doing like this bouncing yoga thing on live TV. Like, this is her job. But she's really trying to push out of her 
what she's typecast as and it'd be taken seriously and all of that. And I was like, cool, maybe the next movie will be different than the opening of the next movie. She's like, I need to get some information from this guy. I see these like girls in sexy schoolgirl outfits. I'm going to create a sexy schoolgirl outfit on the fly. And then, you know, like it was unnecessary. Well, hold on. Actually, that's I agree with you. There's an unnecessary level to it. But there's this really interesting video where somebody who works in the CIA who like worked with our uh, espionage and intelligence agents talked about like different things that that spies have to do or and then they talked about quick changes which is what that is which is what she does and she actually said uh this is actually a really good example of a good quick change that you would do uh was actually in this movie weirdly yeah. enough i mean sex espionage is a thing it's <laughs> true the i think the thing that i didn't mind about that like yes it is going a little a little far in that direction, but it was her decision to do it. The character's decision to go that route as opposed to somebody putting her in that position. So it's like, she's still got agency there to, it's just, she realizes that's how she's going to get the information that she needs. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. I think if it's, I think if it's not Megan Fox, it's probably looked at very differently too, especially Mm -hmm. Megan Fox in a Michael Bay produced film. (laughs) Um, Didn't they hate each other? Wasn't there a whole like Michael Bay, Megan Fox falling out? I thought so. That I recall. Um, I don't know why I remember this. Yeah, Yeah. he. I think uh, it was just much more comfortable now for her to talk about like, hey, I've been sexualized my entire life, and Michael Bay is pretty guilty of being part of that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, Tony Shalhoub does the voice of Splinter again. Uh, He's only yeah. He's only in it for a very short period of time. Did he? He. Did Splinter for the first movie as well, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. He also okay. like sounded way different in this one. He actually like made himself sound older. I feel like in the first one they were trying to go with like Splinter is the middle aged dad of these turtles. Yeah. Where in this one they leaned a little bit more into like he's the old guy. Again, also leaning dad to these turtles. Yeah. Again, kind of leaning into the cartoon and the the first live action movie where Splinter is considerably older. So it sort of worked that way. Um, there was one other I wanted. Oh, well, the the other kind of big name in this uh, playing Casey Jones, Stephen Amell. Um, and this yes. was he was still in the middle of doing uh, Arrow at this point. This was 2016. Yep. yep. Um, and so he's kind of riding that uh, that train. But I liked him a lot as Casey Jones. I like Stephen Amell anyway. I, I think he's a ton of fun. So yeah, we oh. we, we like him too. Yeah, big, big fan of Stephen Amell. And I like Casey Jones from the movies. I don't, if I remember correctly in the cartoon, he was very much like a, almost like a Clint Eastwood sounding character. Um, I think they could have played up the the anger management part of it a bit more um, because they mentioned that early on, like, oh, you know, as somebody with anger management problems. And then we basically get one instance of that where he, throws a bunch of glasses at uh, mayhem in the bar and then gets the information that he wants. But at the same time, like Stephen Amell just has this presence about him. That's great. And I thought he was a good fit. He's so charismatic uh, to Stephen Amell is in general. There's a, a part in this movie that I, I, I laughed at the way that it was written where he could not wait. Like they shoehorned in him explaining that he wants to be detective 
in such an awkward way where someone calls him Officer Jones and he's like, Officer, oh, yeah. for now, one day I'm going to be a detective when they open up application rounds again. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> ask right. for any of these details about your life. Right. It's, it's like just saying, like, you know, he's, it's not good enough that he's just like a beat correctional officer or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. he has to have a higher aspirations to be, like, considered more competent or whatever. I don't really know what, I, what I'm trying to go for, right? But it's like, he could have just been dude in a hockey mask especially in this movie with like crane and just like yeah teleportation and purple animal ooze or whatever like just have a guy show up in an alleyway with a hockey stick and a hockey mask and like call it a day but no he had like ambitions (laughs) and goals and we're proud of him he still didn't reach them by the end of the movie i was gonna say yeah i didn't even like nobody was like well we're gonna make you detective or like didn't show him applying for it it's just talked about earlier on in the movie yep if there had been a third movie they he would have shown up in like a trench coat yeah. stick and his mask. And it's just like, I'm detective hockey mask, man. Or he got fired between <laughs> not, not the two movies. Joke. Like he made detective right. and yeah. then got fired and he's all disillusioned by it. Now I do <laughs> wish he would have worn the mask more. I understand you don't put Stephen Amell in a mask. You don't hide that face. Like I get it, but yeah. the mask yeah. looked so good. Uh, I mean, they did a good job. if you had him take his shirt off, you still, you still would have been recognizable. That's true. Put you him know. On, on a salmon ladder and then with the mask on. With a hockey stick. He's just going yeah. up with the hockey stick. Yeah, there you go. Um, I did like the gag of where uh, nobody, she couldn't hear him when he had the mask on. Yeah. Because you could, that was pretty you good. could absolutely hear him with that mask on. Like, it's so, so overdone. But I did like that gag. So there's a reason. Uh, they basically gave themselves a reason why he doesn't wear it the rest of the movie, but right. I also the, the wheels that he steals off of that office chair to make skates were great because yeah, have you ever seen an office chair with four wheels lined up like that? I mean, <laughs> look, man, I don't know what to tell you. Some <laughs> office chairs are different. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't chair shame on this podcast. All right, fine. Um, <laughs> But no, but also no. Yeah, also also no, I've never seen that. Um, Yeah, I I just, there's so much fun about this movie. Oh, Brad Garrett, that's what I was going to say. He was actually friends with Pat Fraley, who was the voice, the original voice of Krang back in 87. So when Brad Garrett was announced to be voicing Krang, uh, Fraley was cool with that. And I think in some ways that's why he just went total scenery chewing. Because if you remember Krang from the cartoon at all, he was... So far over the top, it was ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I really think that, that that worked. Like, Krang was... They have Krang. There's the Technodrome coming in piece by piece and, and building itself above New York City. Like, this movie just decided... And I think my my line... My note to myself was, like, 20 minutes in, this movie has decided, going to just kick out all the jams. Like, we're not... We're, we're turning it up to 10 and just embracing the goofiness that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. I, That's what made it better than the first one because this one turned it up to 10 whereas the first one was like we're going to turn it up to like 12 but then they get up there and break the knob and then suddenly you get discount Iron Man shredder suit. <laughs> I had well, yeah, it's that. trying to to force them into like a cookie cutter that that wasn't working with what they had going on. Though I I was disappointed that Krang never really got a good shredder. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but again, that's because he froze him and, and 
put him in his uh, toy chest for later. That's it's true. I, I I know that I know that Splinter's a villain or not Splinter. Uh, Shredder's a villain, but when Krang was like betraying him, I was like, man. What a like just what a dick. This guy did so much work for you. Right. And you're just gonna toss him into your like I know he tried to destroy New York, but come on. <laughs> I mean and try to do the same thing the stockman. I mean Yeah, like the sure. scene before oh, that oh is the best part. Right. Like it's it consecutive okay. scenes. It's clever for the way it's set up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm betraying you and now I'm being betrayed. Yeah. Um what did you think of like the the visuals of this? Because the action scenes are like the set pieces are really well done, in my opinion. That that whole overpass underpass kind of car chase with the um the Foot Clan when they're rescuing Shredder from the police escort, that was a really, I think, really well done action scene. Yeah, like I think mo- most of the scenes were action scenes. As, as far as I, I can't think of a bad action sequence either. I've forgotten it already. Or like say the Brazil, the plane scene, and all of that, or even the the climax, like all worked pretty well. Yeah, and, it all was ex- as exciting as it needed to be. Yeah, and also it did a thing, and I appreciate this in a movie because again, we're talking about something that's produced by Michael Bay, who is known for action scenes, but a lot of his Transformer stuff goes gets too much into it. And what I have problems with after the first Transformers movie is. I lose sense of where everyone is in relation to each other in an action scene. So I have no, I have no idea what's going on. And this, Mm -hmm. I never felt that. I never felt like I didn't know where, like the, the whole bit down, going down the river, um, after they, after the plane crashes, like you never lose sense of where anybody is in relation to each other. And that is something that I really appreciate in an action film because it can be easy, especially in a movie that has a lot of, um, visual effects based action. When you when when you have an action scene where all six characters are completely CG uh, creations, it can be really easy to start to lose that sense of of uh, space. And so yeah. I I appreciated that. This movie also had one uh, a shot that I absolutely love, and that is in that first action sequence when Stephen Amell, when Casey Jones looks in the rearview mirror and sees the motorcycle. And then all of a sudden, it's like a dozen motorcycles split off from behind it. Uh, yeah. That was such a well-done shot, and it just looked so badass. Mm-hmm. Like, much much more badass than I think this movie deserves, and yet it worked. <laughs> and they and follow let's, that let's, up. Let's just... oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, finish your thought, Travis. I was just going to say, and then they follow that up with the turtle van showing up and playing the, the turtles in the half shell. <laughs> And I was just like, well, I'm sold. You got me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And let's also just be said, as much as we're like crapping on Michael Bay and that he produced it, um, the, the, this film also had a different director than the first one. Uh, this film was directed by Dave Green, who I think I have his, his, his wiki up right now. And I think before that, he had directed a film called Earth to Echo, which I don't think I've ever heard of. And mm-hmm. then he did... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows and before that I I don't have the page up quick enough but I think it was Jonathan Liebsman yep. who directed the first film and he's known for The Ring and other stuff that I can't remember as I'm talking so um, yeah Liebsman is probably best known for Battle Los Angeles um, yes and that was not very good uh, so um, 
I, for some reason, I did not realize it was Jonathan Liebsman who had done that first movie, and I kept thinking it was someone else, and I don't know who I was thinking it was, because looking through his work, it's not that great. Now, Dave Green has said that he was a fan of the Turtles since the 80s cartoon, which is obvious in this, um, but he actually got started as like a production assistant on uh, Spider-Man 2, of all things, and... Yeah. He, he did some shorts, and Earth to Echo was his first feature film. I've actually seen that. It's this weird little... Um, yeah, I remember the commercials for it. Yeah, it's a cute movie, um, it, it's, it, and it has a lot of heart to it, and that's where I think he brought that kind of energy into this, and he toned down the gritty edge of what uh, Liebsman was trying to do in that first movie, and it works. Now, his next movie, by the way, for Dave Green is Wiley E. Coyote. And I want to see Wiley that. Wiley Coyote movie coming out? Uh, apparently, he, he is working in pre-production on a movie. And this is the, the IMDb um, blurb on it. A story set in the Acme Warehouse, the manufacturer of anything and everything used by Looney Tunes characters. That's all it says. But the title is hmm. Wiley E. Coyote. So, sure, <laughs> I mean, given what he did with this movie and what I remember of Earth to Echo, like he's got the the feeling of cartoons translated. So I don't know if that's going to be CG, if it's going to like what they're going to do with it. But for basically his second feature film to get tossed 135 million dollars from you know producers to make Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty big budget. Any way you cut it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that this movie didn't do better. The critics didn't love it. It's like a 40 meta score. Um, but that doesn't surprise me at all because really, I mean, if you're going to look at this from a critical point of view, there's a ton of issues. There's a ton of plot holes. The stuff doesn't make sense. But you can't watch it like that. You can't watch this movie feeling or thinking that way. I got a little little disappointed when it was clear this was just going to be a, a big blue beam in the sky. And obviously it's not quite a big blue beam in the sky, but at one point they do launch something Mm -hmm. that goes up into the sky and it's blue. And I'm like, okay, great. And then it's, you know, the crazy things coming from like a, a tear in the dimension and ended up being like an interesting enough idea with the whole, with the technodrome sending itself over piece by piece. But I think you do shoot yourself in the foot a little bit when you're like, well, now the stakes are going to be the whole world. Because <laughs> I guess like it kind of was the whole world in the first one, but it was still kind of like New York is going to suffer first. And this one is like, well, our entire dimension is now at risk. So only you four can save it. And when you put the stakes that impossibly high, it always just ends up being like, well, the heroes aren't going to lose. There's not going to be right. Krang in his technodrome standing over the four bodies of the turtles and them shooting lasers on earth. Like they're not going to end the movie that way. So you just, you kind of know like, yeah, it's just going to end with them winning no matter what. I mean, we know that for most superhero films and and, uh, in the like, so it's, it's really not about are the turtles going to win or not? Just like, how do they win? So you have these creative, this creative, I don't know, process and the climax of them, you know, jumping, you know, on these different floating platforms and then their fight with Krang and all that. And like, you're just supposed to be there for the moment. You know, the heroes are going to win in the end. Do they all make it? Who knows? And even if they do just like, how do they get there? That for these kinds of movies, especially movies based off of like popular existing properties, you, you know that 
chances are they're not going to break the toys, but you can still have fun with toys without breaking them. No, yeah. I wanted the movie where Raphael loses an arm, where uh, Donatello it is, is in a wheelchair from here on out. I wanted there to be real consequences to their actions. I mean, to be fair, I, I that's the way I think whenever I'm brainstorming random stories is things get way too dark and way too real. Hey, I mean, look, that was tried with the Transformers cartoon back in the 80s, right? That's famous for what it did. And when oh in the movie when yeah, they kill Transformers the Optimus movie Prime. when they kill off Optimus Prime. So I mean yeah, it made me cry. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's it's not without precedent, but it hasn't been done a whole lot since then. So No, you're right. It, it it isn't a question of if they'll win, it is how they got there. And that was the other like the the sort of not really B plot, but like underlying thing was the the relationship between the four brothers. And they give them the little hero's journey of like they're fracturing, they're not getting along, and so we're going to have them on a mission that fails because they don't work together. So now they have to work together at the end, and that's the only way they can defeat him is to work together. Um, right. You know, so it's, like I said, it's a Saturday morning cartoon in movie form. It's right. a two-hour-long version of a Saturday morning cartoon with all the tropes and all the, the trappings of that, and I love it for that. Like, Yeah. And all their little bits of growth are just going to revert as soon as is necessary for things to go back to the status quo. Like right. next week, Leonardo's going to make another decision that Raphael doesn't like, or, you know, Mikey's going to mess things up this other way. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, you know, that's what we love. you live long enough. You, you, you get a little regressive. Like I think <laughs> sometimes, right, they're like sometimes you know, they're just behavioral right. cyclical, like, you know, just because you know how to, you, you learn from one situation doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to make the best situation in the next one. Even when these turtles are the 33-year-old mutant ninja turtles or whatever, <laughs> they're, they're still going to be making mistakes. You know, Michelangelo probably doesn't know how to pay for his rent or mortgage or whatever. It's a whole mess. He's been borrowing money from Donatello, who's trying to get his startup off the ground. I think Raphael's yeah. dead. They talk a lot about, like, well, if we would be human, we could just like blend in. It was like, you guys are going to have to start paying rent. Right. And then taxes are a thing. Like, you don't understand. You can't just, like, you don't just go there and be like, by the way, I'm a ninja, but I live in the sewer, but I'm a person. Right. Like, right. Come on, guys. You got to think long term here. Not, well, they're teenagers. <laughs> Did you think long term when you were a teenager? I know I didn't. No, these guys are such adrenaline junkies. I know they're teenagers. <laughs> There's some, some of the stuff they're doing. Like surfing on motorcycles. I'm just like, whoa, okay. Could at least wear a helmet. Oh, I you want, have a shell on. You're good. Yeah. I want Michelangelo's uh, flying skateboard. Like right. anti-gravity jet-powered skateboard. That thing was awesome. Rad. <laughs> and they don't explain that at all. He just has it, and it works. So... I also yeah. like that they, they spend a lot of time like rolling around on their shells, but like half of them have crap on their backs that never gets crushed or anything. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I remember that, that was, was something that happened, I think, in the f- first of these two movies, too. They have more stuff in that one, though. They were like... Oh, these ones are... They're so much cleaner. Like, Leonardo's not wearing the weird uh, blinds on his chest that he was wearing in the mm-hmm. first one. And just every... Like, they look... It's just a simpler, cleaner design. I think it looks so much better. Like you said, they brightened up all the colors as well, which I think really helped. Yeah, brightening up the color, simplifying the design, uh, just just made it look more streamlined and more cartoonish. I mean, we keep coming back. I keep coming back to that, but that's that's really what made it work. 
was embracing the the silliness and the cartoony nature of your mm-hmm. source material. Um, I forgot to mention this, but there was a cameo. Uh, I don't know if you caught it or not. Right at the beginning, uh, the pizza guy that they grabbed oh, the yes. pizza from. That's Kevin Eastman. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. He had... Uh, I don't remember if he had a cameo in the first movie or not. I think he did. I know they, they talked about her in the trivia I read that they wanted... The producers wanted to get... Um, Elias Coteus and Sam Rockwell, who were both in the first live-action Turtles movie, to come back and do a cameo in this, and neither one of them wanted Wait, to. Sam Rockwell? Rockwell? Yes, Sam Rockwell the is in Sam the Rockwell? first... Yes. Sam who, Rockwell who is, is in the first... He was the head thug of the, the gang, the, ki- the like kids. In the 90s oh, one. Yeah, in the 1990s. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I... When, when wow. the kids come in and the one guy's like, you got any cigarettes? And he grabs the two cartons and he asks him if he wants regular or menthol. That's Sam Rockwell. Cool. Academy Award winner. Academy his... Award winner. Yeah, an, I mean, there's so so many Academy Award winners at this point. Just really mean what we <laughs> pretend it means anymore. I mean, Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, it's still my the favorite. kind of Suicide Squad. Some sort of Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, but it and there was also dialogue in this that uh just embraced the silliness. Um but we do get a turtle power. So Yeah. That was right at the end. You you hear Turtle Power I think no no good Turtles movie can end without them saying Turtle Power on a rooftop in New York. Because I'm pretty sure they yeah. did it in the first two. That was the problem with the third movie. They weren't in New York anymore. Take the turtles out of New York, and you have problems. That's how, that's how I feel about Spider-Man: Far From Home. I don't really care about him in Europe. Just I enjoyed get that him movie, back in. But... Eh, I thought it was fine. <laughs> um, Not what we're here. I had a couple other things I captured. I had to play because, uh, again, Gary Anthony Williams doing bebop. Uh, probably my favorite thing he said was when they're sit when they're sitting in the bar drinking and talking about how they're going to do their own crime. They're gonna they're gonna go out on their own, and um, mm-hmm. he says something to the effect of like, I mean, how hard can it be to be Shredder anyway? We can we can start our own Foot Clan. Eventually, work our way up to our own Leg Clan. <laughs> I did. I don't, I don't think I, I caught that. that. Uh, <laughs> it just oh, it got me. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> Raphael. Okay, the the. The sequence where they're in the plane flying and they realize that Bebop and Rocksteady are heading back to New York. So they have an intercept course. Somehow Donatello gets the plane to be able to do that while they're riding in what I assume is a commercial plane in the belly. I don't know. Um, But they all jump out except Raphael is afraid to jump out of the plane. Like the toughest, most hardcore of the four of them is afraid to jump out of the plane and he psychs himself up by saying, What would Vin Diesel do? What would Vin yes. Diesel do? I, love that. I, yeah. I got yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> um, there was also, uh, let's see. Oh, um, my, Michelangelo is so much fun because he's just blissfully unaware of everything. I got him. They're at 36,000 feet traveling at 490 knots. Whoa, they've achieved the power of flight. Good for them, you know? 
that line just, made me laugh out loud. That was legitimately <laughs> funny. Because he just genuinely is happy for them. Like, I love that. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah. oh, you know what? I know there are enemies, but I'm glad they, they did that for themselves. And then he also had this one. It's like a chewed up piece of gum with a face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought about mentioning that earlier. That that was a good one. And I always capture weird laughs. And so with Tyler Perry's whatever this was laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> and then this one is just weird. Yummy, isn't it? <laughs> Yummy, isn't it? He had some weird lines. <laughs> he really did. Uh, and, um, uh, oh. And he don't load the shotgun! That was pretty funny. I I was like I was with him in that one. I'm I like, how too. would you not load the shotgun in this scenario? Especially- I was convinced for a hot second that the the, the driver was in on the the escape plan. But I almost feel like they wanted to do that, right? Because there's that moment with Casey where he says, you know, I'm a hockey man. Do you like hockey? And the the guy looks at him and just goes, Ultimate fighting. Like, right? It's a weird delivery, but okay. <laughs> So yeah, yeah there's, there's a very thin line between ultimate fighting and joining the Foot Clan. Actually, most people, I think Ronda Rousey is in the Foot Clan. Like you just probably where you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, David, you'd mentioned earlier the the line with Casey Jones. Was it David or Nick who said, you know, he's he's like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna make detective. Like the the yeah. super forced bit, and then there was also this one where he just blurts out, "Look, I can help you catch these guys. I'm from New York. I know these streets better than anyone." Like. Dude, everybody in that room is probably from New York. Right. <laughs> There's right. not a lot of transplants that join the NYPD. Um, yeah, <laughs> they did that thing in this movie that a lot of movies like set in New York do, like with Spider-Man stuff, where it's it's like I'm a New Yorker, like I but like this city's in my blood, like Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, so, you know, go, go Nick. <laughs> uh, we talked about this one, and this was too funny not to capture. Seriously? Yeah, that's my bad. I got a little carried away. Yeah, the machine gun. I liked <laughs> Seamus uh, as uh, Rocksteady. I thought he did a, a good job of playing just the big dumb brute. Like, he did that well, he but did. he's also, his voice, I think, works. He's got just that, just enough of that Irish uh, voice, that Irish accent going on. And I liked him. Apparently, CM Punk, who's also a pro wrestler, was. Uh, auditioned for that role and they ended up going with Shane's. Oh, really? Stephen Farrelly is actually his name. Um, I like in the beginning, uh, I think when they introduce him and I think Bebop introduces them to Shredder and he's like, and his name's Rocksteady. It might seem like a weird name, but it's Finnish. And then I don't know, he, he says something yeah. like, Oh that's because I finished something or other. But I was yeah. like, Yeah, a Finnish name Rocksteady. <laughs> yeah. It's uh oh I don't start fights but I finish them. I think is what yeah, he says. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the horn on the vent, on the truck, which sadly they only use the one time. Like that's so cheeseball, but I love it. I loved that probably more than I should, <laughs> if I'm honest. But I mean, in the end, this movie's just fun, and if you haven't seen it, like it's worth checking out it's just, just check your brain now i will say that i can a hundred percent understand people that don't enjoy it if you don't have a any kind of a connection to the old cartoon because it is so much of that 
but it's still like it's something it's something that I think just about anybody could sit down and watch and probably enjoy, especially kids. It's PG thirteen. I don't know that it really needed to be rated PG thirteen. You could have cut two lines from Casey Jones. It was the only uh, swearing in the entire movie. Hmm. And they both take place within the first 20 minutes. You cut those and you could almost... I know it's PG-13 because of the way the action is staged. Right. And how much there is. But Yeah, I think, too, because I, I will agree. I think it's a fun movie to watch. And I'll, I think one thing that's going to keep more people from seeing it is it's going to feel like, well, I have to watch the first one. And let me just say, you don't. No, not at all. They like there there's a like any importance to the f- first movie that has the wow i don't know what i was just saying <laughs> any connection this movie has to the first movie is explained well enough in the movie that you would get it you would get that okay shredders in prison and they think that will arnett was the one that saved the day originally that's really all you need yeah, you could almost, if they didn't reference Will Arnett's character saving the city in the first movie, you almost, there's almost no tie to it, which I think yeah. works. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen this, I definitely recommend it. Now, you guys watched both of them yep. this yes. weekend. Uh, why, yes. why were you watching both for the first time? Well, we have another podcast that we do together. Hit me one more time, as mentioned before. And we just uh, launched our Patreon, and we have some bonus content we're working on. One of those is a show called From the Grave, where we look at reboots and remakes of things and just kind of like assess it. Is it like a, a worthy entry in this you know, whatever the franchise is, like next iteration, who who is the who's the audience that they're aiming for in this next one, kind of stuff like that. And uh, we decided to do this because we talked about being fans of Turtles on the show a few times. So our first episode uh, was was the first of these new Ninja Turtle movies. And so people want to hear our thoughts on that. We We mentioned some stuff, but to get kind of a better connection, you can go listen to that. For the first release, uh, since our first episode, we're putting that out on our regular feed for everyone to get kind of a taste for it. So if you want to go hear it and check it out, you can go do that and uh, just uh, just subscribe and, and join us over there and have a good time. And that's at, what's the address for that? Where can they find that? So hit me hit me one more time. If you look us up, uh, you can find us on social media. Hit me one more pod okay. is where you can find that on all of the uh, social medias. And I will say, if you don't listen to that show already, you should, because it's a lot of fun. Uh, I was on talking about Farscape not that long ago, um, or it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. It probably was like six months ago at this point. It was a while ago at this point, yeah. Um, We're we're almost to the first year. We're almost trying to remember what we had talked about. It was Farscape. Yeah. Yeah, because I confused you with that one. (laughs) I'm a little surprised. I thought uh, you were going to ask us about the Church of Amel. Uh, so you travel. just brought it up, David. You yeah, just, well, you I was a little disappointed that he, he didn't. Had it he didn't set us up, so I'm just going to mention it now, so it come it comes up on the show. All right, the Church of Amel, because uh, we we I asked about that. You you mentioned it on Twitter somehow. I picked yeah, up on that right away. Answer. Okay, maybe that's what it was. I picked up on that. I asked you about it. And you were very cagey, um, and yes. I thought maybe if I brought up Stephen Amel, maybe you would. But all right, fine. It naturally i was hoping it, okay okay so 
so David and I were big watchers of arrow when it mm-hmm. launched like we were totally all in on this whole like dc tv universe stuff especially arrow and i think we were both at a time in our life maybe like our what was it like our mid-20s mid, yeah 20s, like we were like we late How? late early 20s we we're going into our mid-20s and you know kind of like a quarter life crisis assuming we get to live to 100 who knows either way we were kind of hitting that phase of like you know we probably haven't done enough to like stay healthy and then here comes arrow where he's just like going up a salmon ladder with like a sweaty pecs or whatever (laughs) and we're like damn that could be us and also Um, Stephen amell the way that uh, the little bit beyond that is he's such a charismatic guy and he's this really friendly on twitter and just mm -hmm. this like really nice really cool seeming dude and so we developed a little bit of a cult of personality. I, I'll call it a cult because we mentioned it as a church. Right. Yeah. 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 We just kind of were like, hey, this is a really cool dude that we kind of want to strive to be when we grow up. But all to be clear, though, all it really all that we really did, besides maybe occasionally fawning over him, was that we did start going to the the gym off and on. And well, basically every time I got I got uh, that it actually did work for me. David got a little bit more ripped than I did. Um, But uh, basically every time we would go to the gym, one of us would text the other, just a Mel workout in all caps. (laughs) That really was the the extent of it. The main tenement of of the church of Amel is just go to the gym and say a Mel workout afterwards. (laughs) That works. Oh, were you able to do the salmon ladder? You ever get to that? Oh, I've never, I haven't been around (laughs) one. I don't know that I can, but I have a feeling that I can't. I, mean, I, I could do one right now, but I have yet to come across a salmon ladder. I'm right. Sure. Okay. All right. That makes don't sense. Don't ask me to take my shirt off because <laughs> it would reveal that I'm lying. Well, we don't want to take that Golden Girls shirt off. It looks so good on it's, you. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great shirt. It really is. Um, so, yeah. Hit me one more time. Like it, It's a really fun show because you guys do a great job of looking at something and I never know at the start if by the end of it I'm going to agree with you or not on the thing because you you look at something like the Jackie Chan Adventures was one that I listened to um, recently and you decide you, you kind of pick it apart and then sort of come to a conclusion for yourselves and you your guest as well when you have one on is this something that is worth watching again or should we just let it stay in nostalgia and I like that. I like that approach. So it's really cool. So definitely check out the show. Hit me one more time or hit me one more pod. Um, and uh, thank, and uh, thank you for having me on uh, that show. And I'm actually working on some other things I want to I want to bring to you to possibly do again. So yeah, be cool. we'll, we'll be excited to have you back on. But also thanks for coming on here. Um, this was fun. I'm glad that you guys both got to enjoy like you got to watch this, but you enjoyed it um, because yeah. I was, I'll admit, I was a little worried just because I know I have, I have a very, uh, I'm very susceptible to, oh, this is something I used to like and be drawn in by nostalgia very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie from 1986 called Running Scared, which stars Gre- Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. It's a buddy cop movie. There, there's no reason for me to like this movie, but it's my favorite buddy cop film hands down ever made and a lot of that is because i saw it when i was way too young to see it and so it always brings back those memories for me 
Um, so I'm, but I'm glad you guys enjoyed this movie. And it was, this was a fun conversation. Um, and, uh, and you're both welcome back anytime. So we need to find more movies that you haven't seen, uh, and get you in. I've got, I've got plenty. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm David who just said that he has plenty that he hasn't seen often criticizes me for having an even bigger backlog of things that supposedly I need to, I need to grace my eyeballs with. So, and also Phil rude in the chat is right. Running scared is great. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for backing me up on that. Yeah, um, thanks for everyone's commentary. I, I, I apparently I Twitch was going to make me relog, like reset my password for some reason. <laughs> so I like wanted to go in there and like actually talk with people, but I've mostly just been reading everyone's fun comments. So, so thank you, Hyphen Universe and Diana Eret and uh, God, I don't even know who's left. Diana. <laughs> I and and yes, thank you to the chat. I really appreciate it. If you want to be in the chat, um, I do record this show on Sunday nights at eight PM Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can come in and, and yell at us. Um there's usually someone in there named Nisbet who's yelling at me to watch the West Wing, because uh, he, he just badgers me every opportunity he can. Um, just just watch the Sorkin years. You can give up after he leaves. We'll see. I it's on my list to watch. I'm gonna eventually break down and do it. He keeps like sending me messages of this person was on a show. He's like, John Delancey did a, did a guest spot. I'm like, I get it. I'm going to watch the show. I promise. <laughs> um, the show comes out on Wednesdays in podcast form. So you can catch that anywhere you get podcasts. If you do um, subscribe using Apple or Google or something like that, leaving a, a review helps the show become more discoverable as well as, you know, spreading it word of mouth. I appreciate that too. And um, lets me keep doing this silly show, talking to you know great people every week, um, and it's always fun to do that. So I appreciate uh, everybody who listens, everybody who tunes in live, and everybody who comes on as guests, including the two of you. This was super super fun. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for having us. Thank you. Now next week I am watching Dark City, and uh, Rooster Bat, David from the rooster bat show is going to come on and watch that with me. It's a movie that sadly is very, very underseen. Um, and it's unfortunate because it's really good sci-fi. So that'll be a fun conversation. Uh, if you, if you want to hear my thoughts on that, you should come back and check that out. But until, until next week, uh, in dark city with David, I am Travis and thank you again, David and Nick. Thank you. Thank you. And until then, I always like to say to uh, enjoy your movies and, you know, the world is a little odd, but let's be excellent to each other. Welcome to New York. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)